0: Hi, this is Derek from Atlanta. Unlike Bob, I am a former law enforcement officer, but I still enjoy listening to a practical show by a practical guy. You're listening to the Handgun World Podcast.
1: Hi, folks. Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast podcast episode 543 to be exact this is a practical show done by a practical everyday guy and that is me thanks for tuning in this show is sponsored by concealment solutions makers of fantastic holsters i got more to talk about regarding concealment solutions coming up i got a big event to talk about So stay tuned. Listen to this entire episode, the interview that I have with uh, John Correa. But also, at the end of this, I have a big announcement that I am going to talk about, which also involves Concealment Solutions and a class that I am going to be teaching very soon. So if you need a good holster, check them out, concealmentsolutions.com. Concealmentsolutions.com A link will be in the show notes and you get a 10% discount by just using the coupon code HANDGUNWORLD. Make it all one word at the checkout when you purchase your holster for concealed carry or belt. And they have the best customer service in America. Check them out. Concealmentsolutions.com so you've heard me talk many times on this show about carrying an extra magazine and whether you may have to reload if you're doing uh, if you're defending your, yourself in a uh, gunfight and we're talking about private citizen civilian gunfights. I'm a big proponent of carrying a spare magazine, but you you guys have listened to me long enough. you know why I want you to carry a spare magazine. gonna talk about that coming up real shortly here with my special guest, John Correa of Active Self-Protection. So I want to give John a very big thank you right up front for taking his time. People are, are very busy these days, successful people. They're very busy and they give me their time and I very much appreciate it. Time is not a renewable asset. We all have the same amount of time and what we do with that time often determines how successful or how happy or how things turn out that's a that's something I've learned over the years so John thank you very much for your time let's get right into this week's special guest my special guest this week is John Korea from active self-protection welcome to the show John well, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's first time, and you know, it's I've been doing this eleven years. It's first time I've had you on here. Hopefully, we can do this again when we finish up.
0: Yeah, hopefully, it won't be eleven years before we are uh, together again.
1: <laughs> I'll try not to to wait eleven years. Uh, how's things out in Arizona?
0: Oh, it's delightful, man. Beautiful out here right now. March is the best time of the year.
1: Yeah, I lived there seven years, so I I got a feeling for what the what the weather was like.
0: Yeah, I and mean, we, we've had a, an interesting uh, few weeks here, man, where we've had several storms roll through. But, man, I'm uh, I'm working on my private pilot's license right now, and today was just an absolute perfect day to fly, so life is good.
1: Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen on social media your posts about uh, about working on your, your private pilot's license. That's pretty cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Lots of fun. Really
0: enjoying it. When do you think you're going to have your license? Well, I'm, I'm pretty close right now. I've, I still need a few more hours and a couple more skills. I might, I might get my check ride uh, as early as early April. Cool. That's great. Here's Good. open, and then on to the next, right? Then I got to hey. do, um, let's see, I need to do uh, high power, and I need to do complex airplane, and then I'm going to move on to instrument rating from there. Very nice. Which airport do you fly out of most of the time? Uh, I'm currently flying out of Glendale Municipal Airport, so... Uh, <clears throat> the closest one to my house is Deer Valley, but Deer Valley is actually the busiest training airport in America. Really? And um, just has a, a huge number of, of commercial pilot training schools out of it. So I'm training out of Glendale. It's a quieter airport, but still busy enough that you got to do all the things that you that to be a good competent pilot in busy airspace without sitting on, uh, you know, and waiting, holding short for 40 minutes to get in the air.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Well, let's let's shift to uh, a gun topic, because that's, after all, what, what my show is, is a gun show. Uh, and for people who, I mean, I can't imagine that there is anybody that has not seen your channel that, that is into firearms. But just in case, there happens to be one or two out there that don't know your channel. Talk about your, your massive YouTube channel.
0: We actually have two YouTube channels, but the big one that if you know me, you know me from uh, is called Active Self Protection. I'm the founder and owner of the company by that name. Um, and on the big YouTube channel, uh, what we do every single day of the year, people send me real life surveillance videos of defensive encounters that real people got in. Uh, Arm robberies, carjackings, home invasions, muggings, uh, defensive encounters of all kinds. And we do after action reports on them. So we talk, we, we walk through the video, uh, the surveillance footage, what happened to somebody. Uh, whether they came out good or not so good. And then we go back through it and we learn lessons. So there are currently about um, 2,000 of them on the YouTube channel, another 500 of them, older ones on my Facebook page back in the day. So right now we have um, posted around 2,500 daily lessons. We do also two badge camps a week so that people get to see uh, what law enforcement officers go through in their defensive encounters and how they're different. And so um, between all of that, we've analyzed somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000 defensive gunfights at this point. So, yeah, at this point, I'm kind of uh, uh, I'm doing expert witness work and the videos are used in uh, literally hundreds of police departments, dozens and dozens of police academies, several hundred uh, firearms trainers, martial arts instructors, those things, uh, post boards, state post boards, national post boards. Uh, use them to train people um, in the realities of defensive gunfights. That's amazing. And I asked you that this question. This was a setup
1: question because I wanted you to talk about your credibility and and I wanted you to talk about the volume of what you have analyzed over the years, so that when people listen to this, they realize that that you, you got some cred- a lot of credibility
0: because you've seen this. Yeah, we we try really hard. I mean, obviously. Just sitting and watching, um, you can be an expert in this in this field without being a practitioner. But I also am a practitioner, so uh, I'm a gun school junkie with around 1,100 hours of formal instruction. I've got tons of uh, firearms instructor certificates. I'm also a, a Force Science Institute certified Force Science analyst and a, uh, a realistic de-escalation instructor. Um, work really hard to be um, an expert at this. I do, you know, court uh, expert witness work. Um, not a ton because it's so difficult to do, but. Some of that. And so uh, travel the country and teach uh, firearms. I'm a martial artist as well. I've got 15 years of martial arts uh, study at this point and uh, a second degree black belt in one art and a white belt in another. And so, uh, yeah, we, we travel and we work hard. We kind of the big YouTube channel gets somewhere between 40 and 60 million views a month right now. Uh, about 2. Wow. Five million subscribers on the big channel. Uh, second channel where we teach skill set. Smaller channel, uh, about a half million views a month over there. But we teach skill set over there every day of the week, too. Excellent. So
1: the primary reason I wanted to interview with you is I saw on social media, on Facebook specifically, uh, maybe about a week ago or a week and a half ago, something like that, people were asking you questions, or somebody put a post up there about reloading in a civilian gunfight. And specifically what I mean by that is reloading, in other words, Ejecting the spent magazine and inserting another magazine of fresh ammo. I don't mean reloading ammunition. I mean performing a reload. So in the 30,000, approximately 30,000 encounters that you've analyzed, about how often does a civilian need to reload to win the
0: fight? Well, uh, the honest reality is, uh, okay, so we're not talking about law enforcement gunfights here. Those are very different because of a different mission.
1: Right, correct.
0: Uh, Private citizen gunfights is uh, a very interesting thing. In in analyzing 30,000 gunfights, there's two questions here. How many times have I seen somebody reload a firearm uh, during a surveillance footage of a defensive encounter? I've actually seen it happen three times. Um, in those three instances, no rounds were used out of the second magazine to win the fight. By the time that the gun got back in the fight, the fight was over. I've seen maybe another seven or eight instances where the presence of a reload could potentially have made a difference. I'm not saying it would have definitively, but you know, seven or eight instances where somebody ran their gun empty and um, needed more rounds to continue the fight – um, and and then didn't have those available. So so maybe as many as 10 out of the 30,000 defensive gunfights that I've analyzed. Now, I, I always tell folks, I can't guarantee you that I have a statistically valid sample because uh, there's an awful lot of gunfights that aren't caught on video. Correct, yeah. At some point, you know, you say, listen, if, if it wasn't all common, uh, if it wasn't all a thing that we would see – Remotely regularly, then I would um, I, I would assume that I would see it occasionally. But it's darn near lightning strike rare. Right? Yeah. So
1: let's take your numbers, okay? Let's take the three that you've actually seen. Let's increase that to the ten where you say the reload may have potentially helped. And now let's overstate it because let's say let's say there's a lot of them that. That, it, that have not been caught on video. So let's say if I were to you know, increase that number to 30, 30 out of 30,000, right? And, and you're still talking about 0.1% of what we've seen. <laughs> exact, no, 0.001%. There you go. Um, yeah. So, and the reason I, I bring this up is I, I've been doing this show for about 11 and a half years. I've taught not quite as much as you have, but... I've taught, you know, several hundred people uh, how to shoot and how to defend themselves with a handgun. And I used to do a lot of teaching of performing reloads because I used to be a big competition shooter. Sure. Um, where, yeah, I mean, you know, you've shot competition. you gotta you got to learn how you to reload the gun. you got to be pretty good at it and pretty fast at it, too. Yes, sir. Um, I still compete, but... When I teach a defensive handgun class, I don't spend a lot of time teaching reloads because I'm wondering why would I want to spend a big part of the class teaching a skill that they're going to use
0: 0.001% of the time? You know, Uh, I always say when I'm teaching a defensive firearms class, I'm teaching one this weekend, in fact, and we'll be out on the range for two days. And so students are going to reload their guns a whole bunch. You know, they're going to run the gun empty, and they're going to need to reload it, and then they're going to need to get back in the fight. So right. I spend a couple of minutes saying, here's how to do so efficiently, just so you're not wasting time on the range.
1: Um, right, right. So you get the most out of your time.
0: Right, so that you can get back into doing the tasks. And I also think, in whether it's competition or sometimes in more advanced defensive handgun classes, I tell people if we put a reload in something, it's not because you'll ever do that skill in a gunfight. I mean, it's, it's almost a minuscule chance. But it adds task complexity. It makes you right. get the, your hands off the gun, get off the sights, do some kind of manipulation to the gun. I mean, I don't know. I could make you, you know, kiss the ejector port and probably do the same thing, although that might be kind of gross. <laughs> um, but but then get you know get your grip reacquired, sights reacquired, trigger reset and go. Or not reset, but you know get back on the trigger, and go. So. I spent very little time uh, on that, you know, and we go back to when I teach classes, I I like to consider myself an evidence based defensive trainer. So I go back and say, what are the things that are most effective and most uh, conducive to getting a positive outcome because of. Uh, you're familiar, I'm sure, with it. Well, you may not be familiar with the term, the Pareto principle, but almost everyone is familiar with the 2080 rule. Yeah. And the the formal name for that is the Pareto principle that that 20 percent of your inputs give you 80 percent of your outputs. And we say that, look, at work, 20 percent of the people do 80 percent of the work. Right. Um, And uh, 20 percent of your activities give you 80 percent of your your results. So uh, is a reload within that 20 percent? It's not. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't ever work on things outside of that 20%, but man, that 20% better be really good before you spend a lot of time. Now, what you talked about, Bob, when you talk about, uh, playing gun games and I love gun games, man, so I, do I. competitive shooting, I don't get to do it a lot, but I do love to do it. And in competitive shooting, that reload time is time that you are wasting. The clock is ticking. And those differences can be the difference between, a master classification and a charlie classification. that is and, true yes and so you got to get fast at those um and so for that context absolutely you need to train your reload to be lightning fast uh, but that doesn't mean you'll use it in a defensive gunfight
1: yeah great point i'm glad you brought that up i don't i'm not saying that i stopped teaching reloads i just spend less emphasis on it less time on it because of of the statistics and i wanted to bring you on to talk about those statistics because i couldn't think of a better person so feel free to disagree with me on this if you want but i like to encourage people to learn to win the gunfight with the ammo you have in your gun at the time you draw it because you likely are not going to get much chance after that what do you think about that
0: it's 100 percent correct. Uh, and and whatever is in your gun at the moment the gunfight starts is really what you have available to win that gunfight, which is, I think, the, the correct answer in this day and age is then to carry the highest capacity firearm that you can. Correct. Um, yeah. Now, now, in some places, that's legislatively limited. Right. In, in some places, you can only carry maybe a, a firearm with 10 and one in the chamber. And that's probably enough for for most uh, private citizen defensive gunfights, but I carry a gun with 17 in the magazine and one in the chamber because um, you know when people say, "Well, John, what, uh, where do you carry your reload?" My answer is I carry it in the gun. Uh, back in the old country, <laughs> um, you know, my pop was a uh, a Vietnam Marine, Third Recon Battalion. For those who know that, uh, he was actually in Vietnam uh, and stacked bodies in the Third Recon Battalion. Doesn't talk about it hardly ever, and he carried a 19 by God 11. Um, oh the, no. Uh, home. <laughs> And, and and he still does. That's, you know, in his mind, the, the 1911 is the only pistol in the Marine Corps manual. Of course, that was from the 60s. Uh, but, you know, that's the only gun for him. And, and of course, his standard issue 1911 had eight in the magazine and one in the chamber. Right. Um, and so guess what? My hkp 30 Lem has 17 in the magazine and one in the chamber. So I have the exact same number, actually one more than he would have with a reload in the gun. And so I just carry my reload inside the pistol. Yeah, that's a great way to put it.
1: You know, what I've been carrying most these days recently is a SIG P365XL. Yeah.
0: And that's… When that gun came out, it was a game changer because of… I mean, it's like a clown car. It, rounds it is. coming out of that magazine.
1: They certainly do, especially the XL because you start with 12, uh, 12 rounds. Yeah. And… Uh, or you can get, I think, I believe, 14, 15-round magazines. But even I, th- I would say even the people who are legislatively limited to ten plus one, that's still pretty good, don't you think? Eleven rounds, that's that's yeah, pretty good. Yeah,
0: eleven rounds is is uh, I think for most, I, I would say that the fewer rounds you carry, the the more judicious you have to be, and the and in, with uh, especially in multiple attacker engagements. Now, I'm not saying you can waste rounds when you got a lot. It's not spray and pray, um, but uh, that means you really have to have a high level of skill. The fewer rounds you carry. I always say, for instance, I know that uh, Claude Werner, the tactical professor, tends to carry a J-frame revolver about. Well, guess what? That guy is an incredible shooter. And so can he get it done with five rounds? Probably. I would say uh, so, yes. Because he's an incredible shooter. But for the average mortal, Jane and, and you know John Doe, um, as humans under duress and those things without a high, high level of skill, having more opportunities – Um, I think is a good thing, and you better have them in the gun because you're not going to reload it.
1: Chances are you're not good. I'm glad we we cleared that up, and I don't want to beat a dead horse too much, but I would just say that, like you you mentioned, carrying the highest capacity that you can carry every day and all the time, uh, and I think some people try to go too high of capacity, and what it causes them to do is not carry the gun.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously in, in 2021, there's some really innovative, great ways to conceal a larger firearm on your person. And so more people could do so if they wanted to. But, but you're right. I mean, there's always a balance between that concealment and capacity and capability. So, you know, there there's always trade offs to be made there, but it's definitely an equation to think about. And I also tell people, people will say, well, John, why? you know, you're telling people not to carry a reload. Uh, don't ever hear me say, I, I tell you not to carry a reload. I don't care. Carry five of them. It doesn't bother me at all. Uh, but I do say if you're carrying a reload and you don't have a less lethal tool on you, like an OC spray or something like that, I think you should reprioritize. If you're not carrying your trauma medical equipment on you, um, I've used my trauma medical equipment now four times as a first responder at Carrex. wrecks. Um, and, mm, okay. and so, you know, prioritizing that equipment first. And if you can carry all that and get some reloads on you, hey, rock and roll.
1: Yeah, I teach people to carry a reload. But the biggest reason why I teach them to do that is because a malfunction is much more likely than needing to reload in a gunfight.
0: You know, the interesting thing, I've literally never seen somebody clear a malfunction of a, a firearm in a gunfight that oh, required okay. a
1: magazine change. Well, thanks for setting me straight on that then.
0: Uh, I'm not saying they've never happened. I just see them really seldom. Um, with with modern magazines, you know, with a couple of exceptions, the old school military spec 1911 magazine would get feed lift problems, and um, and so you know geometry problems. Even in modern 1911s, if you're running high quality, really high quality magazines, right. Um, and generally speaking, that means either a Chip McCormick 47 or a Wilson Combat um you you're going to do fine they're going to they're going to operate well and all of the modern polymer magazines are so reliable at least the OEM ones you know if you buy Cheap knockoffs, man. I got nothing for you. Well, don't carry those. Yeah. Don't carry those. Use those at the range. But uh, carry a high-quality manufacturer's magazine in your gun. Vet it thoroughly that you know that it runs. And it, it's just a, a very rare occurrence. The reason I talk
1: about so much about malfunctions is because of my competition background. I, see, I just see tons of malfunctions in competition matches.
0: Well, I sure, see tons of them. I, and, and I think that that's a mission driving the gear train and driving TTPs again, because those guys uh, and gals that are running competition are almost always running a tuned gun. They're almost yes. always running those guns and running them on uh, running the magazines that they run in those hard, and and they're dropping them on the deck. They're getting dirty and dusty because a lot of those matches are shot on outdoor ranges, mm-hmm. and so you're gonna see malfunctions in those environments. But of course, our our defensive concealed carry gun. Uh, and our defensive concealed carry magazines, we, we treat those magazines much differently than we treat our, our competition and our practice mags. Um, and our competition and, and, and our, our range guns, uh, we should treat with much more care than we treat our defensive carry guns.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I typically, I typically advise people to have anywhere from three to five concealed carry magazines that never see the competition range.
0: 100% agree. I, yeah. I have three magazines uh, that are are very close to pristine. They get um, vetted to, that they function correctly with about 10 cycles. So we run about 10 you know sets through them. We know they function. They're they're um, manufacturer set and then they get set aside and used only as defensive magazines and and I'll tell you if I drop one of those on the deck it now becomes a training magazine and I go to my second one and buy a new one as another backup
1: Yeah that's that's good I didn't I didn't think about that but that's good yeah once it hits the deck and the dirt and the mud and the slush and all that forget about it right
0: Yeah just put it in your training uh, magazine which you know, I I, I kind of stack training mags like cordwood because when I show up at class, I don't want to spend time loading, or when I go to the range, I don't want to spend time loading magazines. I want to shoot, and so uh, I'll take bunches of magazines to uh, whether it's competition. When I run comps, I don't want to sit and load mags between stages. I want to fill my my magazine pouches and let's get back at it.
1: Yeah, John, this is absolutely great stuff. So I want to ask you something else. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't, um, I didn't uh, send you a message that I wanted to talk about this, but don't worry. Um, it's not going to be a, a controversial thing. But you have analyzed so many gunfights, and, and I've watched your videos. I've watched a lot of them, uh, probably over a hundred of the ones that you've put out on YouTube. The one thing I, I, I see almost all the time, and I'd like you to comment on it, is movement. Either one or both seem to be moving, and they're moving a lot.
0: Well, I mean, obviously, um, when bullets start flying, people don't just generally stand around and think it's interesting, although the human psychology is an odd beast. So we do see that sometimes. And I see highly competent people stand and deliver. I've seen plenty of highly competent people get the gun out, get a good firing position, two hands on the gun, and deliver the heat. Um, And that can be very effective. Now, of course, you put a bullet in a bad guy, he's not just going to stand there and go, well, this stinks. This stinks. Uh, He's going to start moving. You're definitely going to change his behavior if you hit him in an anatomically significant spot. So that movement happens. I also see good people, of course, there's a deadly threat in their vicinity. As they go to get the gun out, they move too. So learning to, uh, you know, obviously your static marksmanship skills need to be really strong first. True. And then learning to move with a gun in your hand and think with a gun in your hand and make good decisions about do I have enough sights to, to get the hit that I need here. Um, and do I need to put a shot here is now the time to do that, I think, are, are really critical, important skills.
1: Yeah. So would you say would you say that the percentage of of the movement going on is far higher than the than the stand and deliver shooting?
0: You know, it's it's kind of even. Honestly, I see I see both. Uh, I see people maybe take a step or two. I see some people really dive and, and get out of the way. I see a lot of people stand and deliver. So it's it's kind of a both. And I think. Um, I think that's very situationally dependent. What I don't see, I don't see a lot of people diving behind cover and having gunfights around cover. Um, That's a very rare thing. Because most people, if you get behind cover, they're just going to stay there behind cover rather than have a gunfight. And and so we do see some concealment and people using concealment in gunfights, and that's fine. It works about the same. And we do see some movement. So I think having that skill and being able to say, as the gun comes out, I'm going to get off the X and move to the, to the most advantageous position, you know, uh, and explode to the position where I can be um, dominant to win this fight. Because, quite frankly, this is something that I learned from Tom Givens that I don't want to get in a gunfight. If anything, I want to get in a shooting. Um, I would very much like it to be one way if I could possibly make that
1: happen. Of course. Of course. I took one of Tom's classes, too, and I remember that. Uh, And so so I'm glad you talked about cover because I would think that oftentimes cover is not going to be available. Very rarely. Very rarely. Yeah.
0: And a concealment is occasionally uh, available. And you know the funny thing is? is that in in private citizen gunfights, concealment works just as well as cover 99.9% of the time. What a bad guy can't see, he won't shoot, is Mm -hmm. really what the reality of things is. Um, And and even that's made its way into our active killer interdiction programs now, where you'll hear things like, you know, from Ready Houston, Run, Hide, Fight. Um, When they talk about hide, it's not about being behind a bulletproof uh, something or other. It's about the bad guy not being able to see you. Uh, and I, I have videos on the channel of of people holding up like plastic chairs in front of guys, and they won't shoot through it. Um, and, That's interesting. See, it's it's a psychology thing, and I see good people do the same thing. They're you know they have uh, some piece of concealment or or an uh, you know obscured view of the bad guy that they could shoot right through, but they won't, just because of the psychology that says no, the bullet has to not pass through anything to get there. Um, So, I mean, if concealment is available, great. But remember, these gunfights last a very short amount of time. You're talking three to maybe eight seconds, tops. That was going to be my next question to you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, you've heard the adage. I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, your average gunfight is three rounds at three yards in three seconds. Quite frankly, that's a myth. I've never seen any data to back that up. Um, certainly not in a private citizen encounter. Your average gunfight starts, the the shooting starts somewhere between three and seven yards on average. Um, but it can extend far beyond that. After the first shot, I've seen private citizen gunfights with shots at 15, 20, 25 yards, not super common beyond about 10 or 12 yards, but, but they do happen. Um, how many shots are fired? Somewhere from zero to all of them, somewhere from zero to 15 is, is what we see. I really couldn't say – I don't think three is an average. I think uh, more than that happens a lot. And it's over somewhere between three seconds and eight seconds, depending on how many attackers there are or the capabilities of the defender – um, and how the first shots go. It's it's really about the first person to put a, an anatomically significant hit in the other guy.
1: Ah, I want to key in on what you just said. But before that, I want to remind listeners that John and I are talking about civilian gun fights, not law enforcement, not military engagements or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of law enforcement stories where where the law, the LEOs had to go to a second magazine and maybe even a third.
0: Yeah, I see reloads in cop gunfights all the time.
1: Absolutely. And
0: uh, <clears throat> the reason for that is, is a difference in mission, right? So their mission is to arrest perps. And so they have to close with bad guys, chase them when they run off, and take them into custody. And so that means their gunfights get far more protracted than the average private citizens. Because the average private citizen, if you get in a gunfight and the guy runs off, you let him run off.
1: Of course, yeah, you don't. yeah. You
0: just let him go. You, you, the fight is ended. You want that to be over. You won, right? Yeah. You, you won, yeah. Contact. So the private citizen mission is to break contact. The law enforcement mission is to apprehend. And so because of that difference, you see a lot of reloads in cop gunfights for that very reason, because they're going to stay in that gunfight. Whereas the private citizen not going to do that. And and there are reasons they might have to do that. You know, if they've got uh, a special needs loved one that's there, they can't retreat for whatever reason. They have mobility challenges, things like that. And we're not talking about duty to retreat or anything like that. We're just talking about the fact that if the crackhead runs off that tried to, you know, ship you with a screwdriver, um, then you let him. And and then you call the cops and let them deal with the guy.
1: Yeah, good. So just before we got into this conversation, I said I wanted to get to something later. What was that?
0: You know, that's a good question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, hopefully that hopefully I will think about it because you brought up a really good point maybe like three minutes ago. But we'll get back to that. Um So let's talk a little bit about ammo. Uh, Do you have any data on what kind of ammo that the civilian concealed carriers were using when
0: they're in a gunfight? You got any info on that? It's very rare that I get that kind of info. Okay. Uh, I, I do occasionally get to talk to somebody who is in a private citizen gunfight. Um, and uh, when I do, uh, we'll bring them on and do interviews with them on our second channel to get their experiences and, and what that's meant for them and how that's worked for them, and, and those are usually very meaningful. Um, and, and so then, you know, I'll try to say, okay, what gun were you carrying? What was it loaded with? And those things, but but it's it's very rare, and I would not say that I have enough data there. To, to really be definitive about is something better than something else. And so I always fall back on the FBI data and then um, correlate that the best I can with um, the law enforcement guys that I know and the medical examiners that I know and say, so, okay, what what do you see working well? And that's fairly anecdotal. I don't have a big enough body of data there to make firm conclusions. Though I, I do think carrying quality jacketed hollow points if, if legal, I mean they're not in New Jersey but everywhere else, you know, is Is smart
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: um, you know carry the best ones that you can not that are marketed the best but perform the best speaking
1: of that what is your opinion on the theory that I've heard a lot of people uh, put out there to carry the same type of ammo that your local law enforcement carries for example
0: you know, I know Masada Yub recommends that uh, yeah. simply because it's very uh, easy to do. I do think in some places that's kind of hard to do, depending. You may not be able to find that ammunition, and um, if you can. Um, I, my only other thing with that is, is you know, Bob, I was in the military for uh, eight years. Now, I, I didn't do any, you know, face shooting or door kicking or anything like that. I, I made hot water the hard way in Uncle Sam's canoe club. But, <laughs> But, you know, um, I did see how how government procurement works in that. And and assuming that what the local constabulary bought and provides for its officers is the optimal choice, I think is uh, maybe has some false presuppositions behind it. Um, I think that you might say, oh, is it um, is it reasonable to say, well, I just carry what the local cops carry because. That is a liability issue. Otherwise, I, I, you know, as a guy that does expert witness testimony, <clears throat> I don't see that come up very often at all. Uh, why do you carry a jacket at all point? Well, simply because I don't want the bullet to go through into somebody else. And so <clears throat> I carry the best one that I can. Here's the research that I did. Here's why I carried that. And and uh, you know, your average expert will be able to put that out. I will say I recommend staying away from. Any rounds that are um, salaciously marketed, so zombie rounds, stuff like that, Um, uh, stuff that are marketed as, you know, kill the bad guy debtor or something like that.
1: Yeah, stay away from that. That's why I don't
0: recommend the the radically invasive projectiles, (laughs) the RIP rounds. I think that um, seeing a a lawyer uh, present that box of ammo to the jury and say, look, he's carrying rounds he wants to kill people with. Um, I think could be not super helpful. So from an optics perspective, it's not great. Um, and so going with, with stuff that is um, well-tested and responsible, I think, is the way to go.
1: Yeah, I have a fairly large mm-hmm. uh, stock of Federal HST 124-grain 9mm. That seems to be one of my favorites.
0: Love me some HST. I carry the 147-grain standard pressure in my full-size guns, for sure. Yeah, um, and that's my personal favorite choice. I would tell folks, if you're going to carry something other than uh, HST or Spear Gold Dots, um, I start asking why. Uh, if you're going to carry the Hornady line, Hornady's done a really good job of marketing. I'd recommend the Critical Duty over the Critical Defense. The Critical mm-hmm. Defense tends to under-expand. Uh, critical Duty, a lot less so. Uh, so the 135-grain Flex Tip Expanding Critical Duty line does okay. I have those too. Um. Uh, yeah, uh, Winchester Ranger Tees do fine. Uh, I've seen those. Uh, Expand well, be effective in real life gunfights. So, uh, you know, there's a great resource online. Uh, Lucky Gunner Labs has done an entire ballistic series on testing all kinds of ammo in long barrel guns, so so duty size guns, short barrel guns, uh, in multiple calibers to see what, how do they perform in a standardized test? So you can kind of compare one to the other. Of course, right now in an ammo shortage, gracious sakes, just finding something that's available can be the biggest problem.
1: For less than two dollars a round. Yeah, for good luck. <laughs> for for hollow,
0: defensive, defensive for sure. ammo. Yeah.
1: So since we're talking uh, about ammo then, uh, I think you were saying that it's typically, what, three to eight shots maybe when, when the gunfight is over
0: approximately? Well, we say zero to 15, you know. Oh, I mean, zero to 15, I, I can't okay. can't really give you a, a number, <clears throat> you know, somewhere. I, I do know that when people get shot with a handgun, they tend to keep doing what it was they were doing. Yeah. Uh, so so follow up shots are very often necessary in a real gunfight. And then when you add multiple attackers to the mix, um, I, I always say, listen, I've seen gunfights that um, against a single attacker that that uh, defenders have used as many as 16 rounds against a single attacker. Now, that's not very common. I see plenty of gunfights that end with no shots. You know, g- the the good, sane, sober, moral, prudent person draws a gun and the bad guy skitters off to find somebody who's easier to attack. Yeah, uh, but I've, I, I, man, I, I think that the idea that says, "Oh, okay, the average gunfight is three shots," and so I'm gonna carry a gun that has a low capacity because I probably will be okay. I, I kind of always say, you know, you've already lost the bad day lottery. Um, you already got voluntold as tribute, and uh, it's the worst day of your life. Yeah, <laughs> so giving myself more margin for success if I can is wise. So.
1: How much do you think caliber matters? This is a sticky question. I love to ask it. And you've analyzed so many, and you've been a first responder and such.
0: What about caliber? You know, I, I tell folks, I actually have a video on this on my second channel, that in any of the service calibers, you know, you go all the way down today with quality jacketed hollow points to 380, but, you know, 380, 9 millimeter, 38, 357, 40, 44, 45. uh, The terminal ballistics in all handgun uh, rounds in that window of the service calibers we find is pretty much identical. And so uh, carry the one that you like. I I don't care. You want to carry 40 by God 5 because Jesus and John Moses Browning said that's the best. Um, That's fine by me because it leaves me more 9mm. Um, The last time I did a survey of this, which was a couple years ago now, I should redo it. About 89% of people that responded carried nine mm as their defensive uh, round, as their defensive carry gun. 80 so, to 90, you said? Yeah, uh, yeah. 89% was. Oh, 89, pressure. 89. Okay. Yeah, almost 90%. So, uh, I think that that idea is. And, and listen, I, I really mean it. Some people say, well, I just really prefer the push of the 45 and its lower pressure as opposed to the nine millimeter. Great. That's
1: okay. Fine. Find, yeah. Find rock on.
0: The envelope, that you carry and shoot well. Yeah. And, and that's all going to do the same thing from a ballistics perspective.
1: And I think you just said a very, very important thing. What, what can you carry and what can you shoot well when you when you
0: practice and take a class? Yeah, 100%. I I find for me personally, um, I can shoot nine mm faster with accuracy than I can 40 or 45. Me too. And so, it uh, also I get higher capacity for the same size gun. So and and um, you know, 40 caliber guns tend to get beat up pretty fast. I shoot a lot. I shot. Uh, about 2020 obviously was a down year for everyone. I shot about 16,000 rounds in 2020. I shot about 26,000 rounds in 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a 40 caliber gun, that's going to beat a gun up pretty fast. Um, and so I, t- I carry nine millimeter, but but again, let me say if you want to carry a, a 380, a 38, a, a 40 cal, a 45, I got no problems with that I spent the
1: first four years uh, shooting 45s I had had a couple of 1911 .45s, and I I was fine with them but it, it, the thing is I didn't know any better because when I picked up a nine millimeter I was like wow it, you know this is awesome where where's this been all my life you know
0: yeah, right. <laughs> holy cow this is really easy to shoot this yeah is great.
1: Yeah, and I was struggling through the punishing rounds, especially when I would take a box of uh, 230 grain hollow points in forty five out to the range. You know, by the time I finished that box, it, it got my attention.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and especially, you know, if you're young, you're fit, you're strong, you have really good grip strength, you can probably handle that without too much issue. But, you know, as we get older, uh, as we deal with problems, not just in our hands, but our elbows, especially our shoulders. We get a lot of people as they get older, they start having, you know, elbow and shoulder mobility problems. And so having around that uh, you can practice with a little more uh, can be a very helpful thing. Yeah. So the
1: last question I want to ask you, and by the way, thanks. Thanks for everything uh, that you've shared so far. It's really insightful. Uh, Let's talk about carry methods. Uh, If I'm not mistaken. You're a big fan of appendix carry, right?
0: I am. I've been jokingly called the apostle of appendix carry, though, of <laughs> course, I did not originate it, and I I certainly learned from plenty of others. So, yeah, I carry appendix every day. I do tell people, I again, same thing, I don't care. I, I prefer carry on waste because it's the most accessible, and I think appendix carry does have some significant advantages. Uh, I think a properly holstered firearm in a holster that meets the requirements for a holster, which is that it covers the trigger guard completely, it holds the firearm securely, it allows access to the firearm reliably. If it does those three things, then it's acceptable. If it does that, there's no danger in carrying a a holstered firearm appendix. Uh, It's faster and easier to get in the fight. It's easier to defend. uh, And especially again, as people get older, their shoulder mobility goes down and so getting to especially a gun carried behind the hip. Very few people carry actually on their hip at three or nine o'clock. They almost all sneak it back behind the hip a little bit to make it a little more comfortable. And as you get older, uh, putting your hands in your back pockets gets a little more difficult. It does. Uh, And, and so that takes more time and more attention, more ability, uh, difficult to do. So uh, appendix carry, you're always, it's always going to be easier to put your hands in your front pockets than your back pockets. And so, uh, I I say, hey, if you want to to work with that and try it, I also will say that if you're going to transition to appendix carry, that finding an appendix carry holster takes a good holster, a good belt, and some time to get it set correctly. It's almost more like uh, fitting a prosthesis than it is buying a piece of equipment. The
1: H&K LEM pistol that you carry, uh, what kind of trigger is that? Is that
0: a a double action? It is a a LEM trigger, so I carry that LEM, which is a law enforcement modification, so it's Uh, It is what most people might consider a traditional double action or a double action, single action, but it's actually backwards of that. The Lem trigger is actually single action, double action. So you get a... Long first press that's very light until you get to a very defined wall. Then um, when the shot breaks, obviously the gun reloads. You get a short reset from there. So it it runs like a striker fired gun because every trigger press is the same. Oh, okay. If you get a click when you want a bang, you do have second strike capability. So then the hammer can run with a heavier trigger. uh, uh, The the trigger spring needs to be cocked. And so uh, the hammer spring rather. And so uh, it – operates like single action double action now the one that i carry was has been uh custom tuned and custom built by rick holman lazy wolf gun so it's it's a pretty sweet monster oh you know what and you
1: just reminded me i promise this will be the last question but you carry a custom gun now i i've, I've heard the theory from a lot of folks out there that that you should carry a stock gun not carrying a a custom gun what do you think of
0: that well, obviously I disagree. I mean, I carry a, a highly tuned custom gun that is highly reliable. And uh, to me, the big thing is, uh, are you? Can, can you defend why uh, you carry the gun that you carry? And uh, I can defend the choices that I made there because each uh, modification uh, that were done by professionals. So I'm not a home gunsmith. I would never recommend people wrench on their own guns. Um, But but uh, installed by a professional to make it more fit for its task. And of course, um, your average firearms manufacturer are making quality guns, but they are balancing quality and, and usability with cost factors. And that makes a lot of sense. And I'm not saying you have to customize a gun. But uh, for me, the tool that I'm going to depend my life on, I am not worried about the cost of it. I'm worried yeah. about the function of it. You want to be sure that it's going to shoot
1: where you want it to shoot, and that if you do your part, your parts going to perform.
0: Yeah, I want to know if there's a problem. It's the loose nut behind the trigger, and so um, I, not not in the gun itself. So, and I tell folks, listen, I, I, it's a it's a very expensive firearm. And I'm, you don't have to carry that much gun. And I'm not telling you if you don't that you're not doing it right or whatever. But, um, you know, the, the, the modifications that I would avoid are things that uh, from the perspective of um, if if you are involved in a defensive shooting, start to speak to motive or intent. So things like Punisher skull backplates. Or, you know, uh, the kill them all and let God sort them out uh, engraving or things like that stuff that would get shown to the jury that would seem to speak to um, your intent. And, and there's a good for instance of that out of Arizona here that we had an officer involved shooting with an officer who was using an AR-15 that is dust cover. Uh, had the words, and, and I'm going to be kind here, you're effed on it. But it, it spelled it out mm-hmm, and actually mm-hmm, said it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that didn't make it into court. Uh, his lawyer uh, successfully argued that it was irrelevant to the justification of the shooting. But I can tell you because I know this case that it cost him around twenty or $25,000 to keep that out of court. And it, and it cost a lot of heartache. Very expensive dust cover. Very expensive dust cover. So stuff like that. Um, I mean, if you want to have a gun in the safe that's all whamadine and, and and you know signals your values and beliefs and those things, great. I totally get that. But for a carry gun, I would avoid those kinds of modifications. But if it makes the gun better suited to its task, so I carry a gun with a red dot sight. Uh, I carry a gun that's got uh, a very aggressive texture job on it. Carry a gun with a with a, uh, a very reliable but um, improved trigger. Uh, MP3 coded all that stuff. Why? Because it makes it better at the task and lets me focus on um, what I need to do rather than on functioning the gun.
1: Yeah, and that sounds fairly uh, well. It's it's a much better position to defend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, um,
0: and, and could a prosecutor or a, a you know uh, a plaintiff's attorney, you know, uh, argue that? You know, you are showing that you have intent because you carry this whamadine gun. I I think so, but that's why you then have your own experts who can speak to the justification of that, speak to the reasonableness of it. And, you know, I I think that if you're staying kind of within the mainstream of what's available, you know, you get a texture job on the gun, you get a, a trigger job that doesn't reduce the weight down below what we would call a duty spec, which generally speaking is four pounds and up. Um, you put a red dot sight or a night sights on the gun, something like that. Those are all pretty easily justified in court. Yeah, good stuff, John. Thank you so much.
1: I can I can see a part two coming up. And, Happy uh, to help
0: anytime. Thanks for having me
1: on. Yeah, and uh, what before we sign off, once again, tell people where they can find your work.
0: Well, the best place to find us is on YouTube. So if you go on YouTube and you search for Active Self Protection, you will find two channels there, both Active Self Protection and Active Self Protection Extra. You can always find us on our website, active I'm on Instagram as well. Um, and, uh, my public figure page is, uh, you know, you can look me up on Facebook. It's John Correa, uh, facebook.com slash the guy. If you want to follow me over there, that's more devotional, uh, and, uh, and for my life as a pastor and pictures of my cats. But, uh, yeah, that's all the ways you can find me. God bless you, my friend.
1: Thank you for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me, Bob.
1: All right. Take care. John Korea, thank you. Wow, that is awesome. Check him out at Active Self Protection on YouTube. Check out his YouTube channel and watch the videos that he's talking about. I will invite John back. That was great stuff. I'd love to hear your feedback. 210-646-1727 call the show leave a voicemail by the way I received a couple of real good voicemails lately and next week I will be talking about those I also received some very good emails as well which I'm going to talk about so next week's show is going to be kind of a mixed bag of subjects and a lot of it's going to be listener feedback Check out John's channel once again, Active Self-Protection. Very informative stuff. So on June 12th, 2021, Saturday, June 12th, I am teaching a one-day Beyond Concealed Carry class in Utah, in the Salt Lake City area, June 12th, Saturday from about 8 in the morning till 5:30. Beyond Concealed Carry, I will be the instructor. It's only a one day, so I'm going to be coming out there and doing it myself. And Jason Christensen of Concealment Solutions is also going to be helping out with the class. He's the official host of the class. He's going to be helping out. I'm sure I'm going to ask him to do uh, several things, so check it out. It's only a one-day class. It's going to be very much worth your time. It's, it's a, a medium amount of ammo that you're going to shoot. Not a whole bunch, but a medium amount. Enough ammunition for you to get the benefit of the class. Couples are welcome. Uh, even intermediate level shooters. You know, if you're a beginner and you've never drawn your gun from a holster before, this might not be the class for you. But if you're somewhat familiar with that or you're willing to practice that between now and the class time then feel free to attend. You know, it's it's not till June 12th. If you want to pick up a belt or and a holster for your gun, you want to pick up a belt or a holster for your gun, go to Concealment Solutions. Get a good belt. Get a good holster. Start practicing. Start dry firing. Do it with somebody that you know that's an experienced shooter and then come to the class. Go to the range once or twice where you are allowed to draw your handgun. But if you're a novice and you've never even picked up a gun, then I'll probably be back to do a beginner's class at some point. So I say this is an intermediate class, but I've taught a lot of couples where one is a real good shooter and the other one is just getting started. That's fine. Uh, go ahead and get signed up. And even even if you're an experienced shooter, I'm going to challenge the experienced shooters that might be listening. Come to my one-day class. And tell me if you have not learned something new, or you have not perfected something that you already know, but didn't get a chance to practice it much lately. I will help you with that. So come to my class and um, take my challenge. See if it's something that see if it if it uh, if I'm. If I'm worth it, because I tell you what, I've received a lot of feedback, especially also when I was teaching with Ben Branham, but also I've done many classes that I've taught on my own. And repetition is the mother of learning. And sometimes you might hear the same thing and you might try something that you've never heard before, or maybe you have heard it before, but... It was presented to you in a different way and that helps the learning process that helps you grow and develop and that's with any kind of training that you take pretty much anywhere if it's somebody that's an experienced trainer that has a track record then you will learn something and the, the really cool thing about these classes you can come practice and train and do things that you normally don't get a chance to do if you go to a public range for example Uh, or unless you go to somebody's private property and you're training out there, most of the time you don't get a chance to do what you get to do in my Beyond Concealed Carry class. So come check it out. You're going to be shooting on the move, all that. Go to handgunworld.com, handgunworld.com. Right there on the top of the page in the menu, it says Beyond Concealed Carry Class in Utah Get signed up. And if you have any questions, of course, email me, handgunworld at gmail.com. Call the voicemail. Ask me a question on Facebook or on Twitter or MeWe or Parlor. I'm in all four of those. So thanks for listening to another episode of the Handgun World podcast. A practical show done by a practical guy. And once again, thanks to John Correa. Thank you for listening. Remember, shoot straight, shoot safe, read your Bible every day, and I'll talk to you next week.